0: None of us are getting out of this alive. It's an old Irish saying, and it's true. But, you know, you want to hang around as long as you can. And be as active as you can. So, why not protect yourself?
1: Hey, welcome to All Things Wood Floor brought to you by Wood Floor Business. I'm your host, Steve Diggins, with Wood Pro, Horizon Forest Products, and Wood Floor Business Magazine. Wood Floor Business for the Wood Floor Brilliant, baby. Today, expert Bob Goldstein, retired wood floor master, blogger, author uh, from Boca Raton, Florida. In this special episode, Bob's going to share with us his decades of experience as a wood flooring contractor, inspector, and consultant. He talks about how contractors can protect themselves from the severe health risks and shares his own personal struggles resulting from exposure to materials that we all still might work with even today. Bob Goldstein is a hardwood flooring Mount Rushmore kind of floor pro, so with no further delay, All Things Wood Floor welcomes Bob Goldstein, lifelong wood floor expert, Boca Raton, Florida, floor pros around the world, let's get to it! Bob Goldstein, welcome to All Things Wood Floor.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Hey, I'll tell you, you're in Wood Floor Business, Wood Floor Business Magazine. Uh, they got you up on the Mount Rushmore. So, this is an honor that you're chatting with me. I know we spoke a couple of times on the phone, but I appreciate you taking the time.
0: It's my pleasure.
1: Now, you what, are you in, you're down in the Hollywood, Florida area or Boca?
0: Yes, just north of Hollywood. I grew up in Hollywood. You, okay. Hey, gotcha.
1: Yeah, I've, I've got family in Perrine. And my home away from home was a Homestead High School football because when we went to college, we didn't have a team to root for. So, I don't know. We picked that one somehow. It can't be more than an hour from you.
0: Yeah, Homestead Thoroughbreds. Yes, that's the ones. Yep. I coached high school football for 20 years. So, uh, I know most you, of the teams. Did you on, play
1: uh, too? Oh, yeah. Most, most floor people I talk to, they say that between that the sport and the flooring, it, it wasn't good for your knees. your knees still holding out for you?
0: Uh, yeah, after a couple surgeries, they're working okay. That's, <laughs> hey, that's
1: how we do it. Uh, Bob, tell me a little bit about you and your family, and then let's chat about how you got into flooring.
0: I don't know where to start, about how I got into flooring. you have three children? I do. I have three children. Uh, I was a single parent for 20 years, and... Surprisingly, they all turned out well um, both of my sons are in the wood floor business Wow, and my daughter is a college professor so
1: down down in Florida
0: here in Florida yep
1: that 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 sounds like they must have kept you busy. Did they start with you when they were early are they just helping out and then do they do their own thing now they have their own floor businesses
0: yeah, they were basically free labor yeah yeah. <laughs> And uh because I was a single parent, the fact that I, I ran my own uh business was a huge help because I could take them with me whenever I needed to. And instead of them just standing around, I uh I'd have them clean up the job site, bring tools and back and forth. So they've been a been a long time. Of course, I'm, I'm thankful that my my daughter um pursued her education. She went to the University of Miami where Coral she Gables was a cheerleader. Yep. in Coral Gables. Yep. She was a cheerleader there for several years and for a championship team, which was a lot of fun. Wow. And um, both of my boys, like I said, are are in the wood floor business, as was my father. That's how I got into it.
1: Th- that's so a lot of generations.
0: Four, yeah, three generations actually.
1: Mel Bob, you would remember. We were talking about this the other day. No, my guys don't understand what unnested hardwood flooring oh. is. And yeah, right. I when we were doing gymnasiums, I we put out the eight footers, the sevens, the sixes, and my little my kids would just cull in grade and rack them out for my guys, and that they would line them up just like Tinker toys, and we would stand there and say, "Don't get used to this. Right, you're going to college, and right, then we could talk right. about your flooring career." But they did
0: not want uh, them to necessarily get into the business. But,
1: uh, but how did you get started in the business?
0: Um, I actually started working with my dad when I was a kid, uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, and uh, just went to school to become a teacher. And the year that I would have started teaching in Broward County, the starting salary, I believe, was $6,800 a year. Wow. And with, you know, three kids to support, that didn't really hack it, so... I, uh, back in the day, uh, there were union shops in South Florida, believe it or not, and that my dad was in local 405, so he got me on as a uh, trainee, and you know, it started from there. And it was, I think it was very advantageous to go through that program, because as an apprentice, you have a lot of training that they put you through, and it's not just specifically in, in wood flooring, you had to learn many different crafts. You had learned uh, the Armstrong method of uh, linoleum installation, including pattern and design and uh, pattern scribing. Yeah. And if you do vinyl or linoleum, you learn floor prep like no other trade. And that mm-hmm. helped so much uh, going forward when I decided to just focus on hardwood flooring. But I did learn the other aspects as well I could install at the time it was VAT vinyl asbestos tile and it changed to vinyl composition did a lot of uh, sheet goods and linoleum a little bit of carpet and wood flooring and they noticed I really enjoyed that so I kind of gravitated toward that like we and I discussed the other day the first machine I got to use as a helper was a, a 110 Clark D-U-8, D-U-8, which was a popular rental machine back the in the tilt day. tilt And you just had to tilt it. And it was yeah. kind of like you learned to get the feel of how much pressure the drum was putting on the floor. And you either uh, you destroyed the floor or you you got it looking pretty good, you know, depending on your skill set and how long you were at it before they would turn you loose on on the, the real big machines. And in those days, it, it was a uh, port of cable 12 inch Drum sanders, there were a, a lot of the original Clark machines out there. American sanders, obviously. Pro
1: 8, Apollo 8, the big ones bef- before yeah, the
0: Galaxy. Way before the Apollos, but uh, yeah, the, the old 504s and F87s. And,
1: that big old you know, motorcycle was- chain on them,
0: <laughs> wooden <laughs> handles. Yeah.
1: It's, I always love talking with you Because I, when I first got in it was probably eighty-five, six, seven, I had a mentor that had been One of the best in the country anywhere And they brought him into Armstrong To be like the regional the National training director And I haven't heard some of the things That he taught me Until I started speaking with you Like you just said pattern scribe Somebody at the office the other day Did a hearth And he told me all the intricacies How he did the hearth They go, did you think of pattern scribing it? He had never heard of yeah. it I think maybe maybe you and I Are the only ones that know what that is the, but, you,
0: you know, learning that even came in handy with Harvard flooring because there were some tricky cuts. You, I was able to take uh, just paper and, and scribe in the cut, and then transfer it onto the wood and use using a uh, the, the proper tools, and you know, not trying to hack it in on a table saw, just uh, make absolutely perfect. Fits. What
1: did you use for the pattern? What was what did, felt? What did you use?
0: Back in the day, it was a uh, hydrochord paper. Okay. And w- was, uh, it's um, the paper that would be, you would, it's the exact same paper that they use on the back of sheet vinyl. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, it, uh, it's heavy, it stays in place, it's easy to mark up, and it, uh, it doesn't fall apart when you move it around. You can't find it anymore because it contained asbestos fibers, but... Uh, um, yeah, that's what we used.
1: Yeah, Yeah. what didn't contain us. We're going to get into that, too. Yeah. Now, when did this all start, Bob? How long have you been in the industry?
0: Since 19... we uh, making a living at it since 1966. Okay. Yeah. And then I started my own company in 1970 when I left uh, the union.
1: Install, sand, finish everything? Just, just wood. I
0: just went to you know, install, sand, and finish. Whatever I sold, I did. Um, you know, I hired some employees over the years. And uh, as my after my boys graduated from high school, uh, as much as I wanted them to continue like their sister did, uh, they really weren't interested, they wanted to learn a trade. So uh, my I have to say, unequivocally, my son, Todd is probably the best installer I've ever seen, Really, the most meticulous. Um, never ever had a complaint on a job that he did because he was always pickier than any customer we had. And to this day, he, his reputation is extremely high end custom crafted wood floors.
1: I'll take good over speed any day. Sometimes yeah. you need speed, so but smart. taking your time. And it,
0: worked, it worked out well because his brother Ron was more interested in the sanding end of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, taught him to do the install and, uh, Ron would do the sanding, and I'd do a little bit of both. Was you know, this all in Florida the
1: whole time you were in Florida?
0: Yes, I started the business it's, here. It's different. But we did did a lot of putting...
2: work.
0: Yep, people have a misconception about wood flooring in Florida. Yes, they do. All of the original yeah. construction here, going back to the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, when the Flaglers and the Vanderbilts and all that were building mansions down here, and they had to build homes for the people that worked for them and people that worked on the, on the railroad, the Flagler Railroad, that, that one that's, I guess, famous or infamous about the fact that it uh, literally fell apart during a hurricane. It used to go all the way to Key West, but all those homes were hardwood floors. They were pier and beam construction, and uh, they were predominantly inch and a half, Quarter on. And uh, they were just last forever. No issue with acclimation. We had no air conditioning back then. Right. The only people that had air conditioning were very wealthy. So your your typical uh, single family home had a hardwood floor. And then later when uh, FHA got involved, you had a choice of two, you had terrazzo, or hardwood because the philosophy was the floor should last at least as long as the mortgage, right? And the mortgage was typically 30 years, right? Which is kind of ironic, because in what is it was it 1966, they approved carpet for FHA.
1: Hmm.
0: And now you're putting in carpet that would, if you're lucky if it lasted two or three years, and you still had that 30 year mortgage. So it for a while it, it was really difficult in the hardwood floor business. The only people that were buying wood floors in the early, in the mid-60s through the 70s were, again, wealthy people. And then uh, this is about the same time that uh, Bruce started doing a lot of their pre-finished wax floors, if you remember those. Yes. And uh, they turned things around because it became more affordable. But you know, our skill set was in, you know, nail down, stand and finish. And... Uh, of course you have to roll with the punches and learn so still cleat nailing it or
1: were they using cut nails down there too
0: um we started with cut nails just hand nailing you know Uh, that's that's the way my dad did it basically you'd wear an apron with cut nails in it and this may sound strange to some people but they keep a bar of ivory soap in the pouch and they just pop the nail into the soap and then nail it. And because they were blunt nails with the soap on, they would lubricate it and you wouldn't split the tongues. Yeah. And, and these guys, including my father, could fly. I mean, 22 ounce hammer. Uh, of course, my thumb I almost destroyed it completely during the learning process. And one of the happier days uh, was when we, we broke down and bought a couple of Model 45s cleat nailers and, Power uh, now. changed, changed our world. Yeah.
1: No hose was connected to those things.
0: No hose. But I had, uh, we all had a, a right or left forearm, depending on if you're lefty or righty, Popeye like arm. Popeye. Popeye <laughs> arm. So, did you, do,
1: did they do all the, I remember hearing about the, like the H block down there and they would use like hot roofing tar or a cold stick or something. Were you in, right. did you have to do all that was some crazy stuff.
0: That was mostly in commercial work was back it? in the day. And, you know, you use, uh, we use a lot of cutback, which is a, a, an asphalt-based adhesive that had uh, a lot of uh, asbestos fiber in it that kept it viscous. And uh, what did we know, it was it, it, the wood would stick to it and, and we had no complaints and it was fairly easy to use. So we did it. We did a tremendous amount of uh, block, and then the other product that was really popular that I did probably a million square feet was uh, paper-faced parquet. Okay. Back back when it was um, before you know Tarket or any of those people, it was uh, uh, Harris. And uh, God, we we did a, just. Hundreds of thousands of square feet in department stores—all their, uh, the aisles and furniture departments. You know, you know we'd get an, an area, say, well, tonight we're going to uh, work in Burdines, which is a was a big department store here in South Florida. It's now Macy's, and and we'd knock out five, six thousand square feet of that stuff in a night.
1: I had my Burdines card. They, I think they use Pattern yeah. Plus too. Wasn't that the famous one? Acres and acres of Pattern Plus and. Which was I think uh, that, little... was,
0: that was a long, long time after. After. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Pattern Plus. Uh, again, that was a, a Tibbles product. And we did a lot of uh, Ethan Allen stores with it. And we found out after it was down for a little while, because of the construction, it, it had those cross slat boards as the core, it would telegraph the core. Within six weeks, and it looked like there was chatter everywhere.
1: Wow.
0: We had nothing but claim after claim after claim, and it turned out it was it was that type of construction just doesn't work well here in the humid self.
1: I remember they tried to make some intricate parquets, and some of the companies would hire wood craftsmen, and they would make them so perfect that after a few months, they'd just blow out. And then we came up with this rule. If you held it up to the light and light didn't come through, then don't put it in. You, you need some type right. of room in there. The, uh, yeah, the paper
0: face, I don't know if you remember that the Harris had, they had patterns, you know, like a, you could get a ROMS pattern. I have it in my office. Yeah. That's how and I got they into the industry.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to ask you about that. So I have some in my office and Wally Johnson gave it to me. He's probably 80 something now. He's been, he's our guy up here like you. Um, the guy I worked for put it in upside down. He glued it, put the paper yeah, down, sanded it. It was blowing. Have you ever seen that one?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I have what was the right way to put that stuff in <laughs> right well uh they had their special adhesive uh, they had uh, one that was a had a C on the label which was for concrete and and one that didn't and that was for other substrates so you would just um put it in trowel it in wet and like you said all the little fillets in the, in the pattern were loops set yes. intentionally so you, you do an area and come back with a sponge and water and wet it all down and, and peel the paper off. And back in the day, it was uh, put together with horse glue. And it literally smelled like a wet blanket. <laughs> so you'd peel that all off and then go back and adjust it to tighten up the patterns and make sure everything were, were on your chalk lines and then continue. It was, uh, at the end of the night, you'd have just a, literally a huge pile of, of paper, and it was all sticky, and you get rid of that and go back uh, the next day and start sanding.
1: You must have seen some products. I know that when I started, they were, like you said, the Bruce products had these ginormous bevels, and you either had light and natural, which was a neutral wax, or you had a dark and rich, which was a brown wax. Right. Gunstock. That, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. To this day, they grade some of the flooring and prefinished will have a certain grading on the back, which means we're going to make this product with red oak and white oak and it's going to be gun stock so if you're thinking you're sanding red and white oak you are.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of mix. Over the years when we go back and refinish these floors we'd uh, we'd find out that that it was a mix of red and white oak and if people wanted it natural after you sanded it uh, they'd they'd have to make a decision to stain it something Something. because it just looked kind of goofy but uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that when they came out uh, with the pre-finished two-and-a-quarter by three-quarter, I don't know if you remember Sterling Strip.
1: I sold a ton of one Sterling. Of the very
0: first ones.
1: Laurel Strip and Sterling Strip. Yep. yep. It was square ends. Yeah.
0: Right. And um, it was a nice product, but uh, again, it was a mix of red and white, and everything had to be a specific color. And the most popular ones were neutral and gun stock. And then they had some other, you know, a darker one, I don't remember the name. Oh yeah, I remember nine
1: twenty six was gun stock. Each one C B nine twenty six was the Laurel Strip version, then they put it into Home Depot, called it AHS series, and then they shortened right. the bevel and the rest was history. But remember that was a everybody always even the other day, somebody said, Well, why don't we have a square edge product? Ask the Bayport people, the Sterling Strip people. Up here it moves, the edges chip, and then people get upset and it doesn't perform right. like a like I'd say it didn't finish floor at all
0: no it was never the same look. And uh, people who had other rooms that were job site finished, and then you put it in a new floor, something that they chose in the Sterling Strip, and they were, you know, why does it have uh, these gaps and this and that? And, you know, what we know today as overwood, underwood, you know, it was just the nature of the beast, Try right? to explain that to somebody that, that owes you. How did you recondition those?
1: What happened if somebody? How did you do those? Did you have to go back in? You know, with the with the that one had a urethane, but the ones with the wax, did you have to go back in and wax them and buff them right. out? And
0: well, the big it it wasn't as hard as what people think it is because you know if you recall, uh, Dura Seal had DuraFinish and Dura Seal, and and they had. Liquid wax that came in those colors, Duralester, yeah. and then they had like 228 medium brown. I do you remember those, yeah, uh, Dural
1: Luster yeah. 228. Yeah.
0: So you just pour that out and buff it in, uh, kind of like what uh, you do to, nowadays with oiling a floor. Right. So you know you just keep buffing it until it you know it disappeared and you had a nice luster to it.
1: It always looked great. It just had so much, main, you know. That you, you talk about like the history of flooring when you have. Uh, FHA finally saying, you know, you can have carpet in a house and we'll approve the loan and you're saving tens of thousands of dollars. Boom, all of a sudden people are putting, yeah. builders can't wait to get rid of the flooring contractor. They're throwing cheap carpet. But it, people forgot the memo that said this stuff's only supposed to be five years. My parents lived uh, on their carpet for, I think, probably 60.
0: Yeah, remember, I also recall vividly that in the in the uh, early 80s, it seems like all we were doing was ripping up carpet and finding a beautiful wood floor under it and, and fixing them.
1: Yeah. Or with animal. And
0: And if the, if the uh, tack strip nails rusted, so you'd go out and you just pull those boards off of of the perimeter and and go to your local uh, lumber yard and, you know, get some inch and a half to replace it. It was amazing how, like if you, here in South Florida, the closer you get to the beach, the, the higher end the homes are. Obviously, right, so we would rip up carpet and find these floors with beautiful walnut inlays and cherry inlays, and they were all done by hand, right in the nineteen forties and nineteen thirties. And we'd sand and finish them and bring them back. People would it people like, cover them. That's what I love clothes. about it. Right, you know, that's where yeah, it's that's where the passion comes from i know You're people say it's is. cold
1: my my parents floors were cold because they probably weren't heating the house because fuel was so high if you warm a floor it'll be warm and that's how we got into radiant heat and everything else today it's uh it's interesting the changes and and the dynamic and what we've been in and putting in and installing and sanding and finishing when you were working with your dad um was it pretty simple red oak white oak this that and whatever there was at the local lumber yard or was there a distributor that had a few good things
0: we basically did a ton train loads of red and white oak. Uh every once in a while. Well, here in in South Florida before I was born, uh, they were using a lot of Dade County pine. They it's an unusual pine in that it's it's hard. Harder than than Brazilian cherry or Ipe. It's it was incredibly hard. Like long leaf or uh, cypress, like
1: that kind of Pardon? Like longleaf or cypress, that kind of? No, no it,
0: ju- it it was just a species that was local to South Florida, uh, and they used it to the point where they decimated. There is no more uh, Dade County pine. Right. Uh, to the when they tear buildings down now, and they find Dade County pine, whether it's in beams, flooring, or whatever, they save it okay. for doing repairs on uh, some of these old mansions and older homes. The only thing that you could do in lieu of that, if you can't find any, is to you know get some really good reddish heart pine mm-hmm. that's vertical grain, and and you know it'll match close enough. But it's still, it was so hard you couldn't nail it; wow. you'd have to drill mm-hmm. holes to to get your cleats in it.
1: So but you're in an area that's famous for. Have you been over to George Goodwin's place up, up northern Florida? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My sister this lives was- in the same. Little town, because Micanopi is like my favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite town Micanoke. in America. If you've ever seen yes. Doc Hollywood, which is where they filmed that movie with Michael yeah. J. Fox, we go every year, my wife and I take a picture in town, and my uh, nephew's wife that he married is a townie and there's really only like 30 people she's from Micanopi proper we call it Grady right. i went up and looked at his mill and he goes over some of the lumber and the axes still in the wood and how hard the you know the heart pine is and the cypress it's pretty fascinating they get some beautiful wood coming out of florida
0: yeah it's uh, the the process of getting that lumber is even more interesting because they they that's material that sunk in the river during transportation it's been underwater for probably a hundred years. They use sonar with their little boats to find the logs and then they retrieve them. And that's why it's so expensive. There's a finite amount of it and, uh, getting less and less, but. It and those trees were a hundred
1: years old to start with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's interesting. But again, back in the day, that's what it was. Red and white oak. It was all commodity type stuff. And, uh, it wasn't until later that we, we got you know we used to do some maple a little bit of ash, but uh, even in the in the 80s and up to the late 80s, you know, to, uh, an exotic was hickory. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So hickory and pecan, hickory and pecan, and uh, yep.
1: When did your when did your father back get out of the industry? How long did he stay in it?
0: He was in the industry for almost 55 years. Wow. And uh, when he moved to Jacksonville, when he was older, he uh, he just did, you know, some repair work from local shops to, to keep himself busy. Unfortunately, he, my father passed away relatively young. He was only 64. So, oh, and uh, I, you know, I think to this day that, some of that was because of you know the trade that he was in and the products that he used that were even worse than the stuff that I used, and I would use some really toxic, oh, he products. had lead and
1: asbestos, he had all the bad ones, yeah, back when it was a good thing, right hey, it'll level your paint out, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, think about that you know all the all the finishes had lead in them yeah that we used back in the sixties and seventies, and uh you know between lead and asbestos and uh you know the chemicals that are used to make things like uh, moisture cured urethane which to this day they haven't come up with a job site finished urethane that's as durable mm-hmm. or as beautiful as moisture cured but you know open the can and you know everybody leaves the the canary dies yep the cats passed out and you're breathing that all day
1: this stuff is yeah brutal we had fabulon prime and that was the end of that it was just pure alcohol and yeah. uh, some of those older finishes you imagine they're adding lead to the paint and they used to say i remember the commercials if you got the menthol cigarettes those are the healthy ones
0: right. Oh,
1: okay. right well my my dad was a marine in his field pack everybody got cigarettes here chocolate cigarettes go to war here smoke up johnny
0: yeah, I never smoked because both my parents smoked so much. It just drove me crazy. Yeah. They had five like kids, and none of us smoke.
1: Yeah, there's seven in our house, and we've probably all snuck off to steal them out of my mom's ashtray, but none of us wound up smokers either. That Listen, you got enough going on when you're involved in flooring. So when you got rolling and you took over to do your own thing, what was it, like one and two guys, five guys, 10, 20? How, what did, how did you build the company up?
0: Well, early on, it started out with myself and a helper, Uh who to this day is still a friend. He lives in uh, Tyler, Texas. His name is Robert Poole. And Robert kept me laughing and entertained all the time. uh, And basically, yeah, it was the two of us. And then uh, it evolved into, at one point, I had like 14 people working for me. And um, they were all employees. I didn't use any subcontractors. I, I preferred to bring in somebody who was like a, A finished carpenter or a sheet vinyl mechanic or you know and and then train them right because uh, they're more meticulous and they didn't have habits that needed to be broken they were they wanted to learn and they were uh not afraid of innovation especially coming out of of another trade that's still in the flooring trades i always found that the best ones were guys that started out doing sheet vinyl okay again because the attention to detail was floor prep and in, in any of our flooring trades, floor prep is just paramount. With it's us, it's, you know, flat, dry, and clean. But uh, as you know, if there was a tiny little petal under a piece of sheet vinyl, it looked like, Mount, you know, like Mount McKinley. Oh, <laughs> it's very it's embarrassing.
1: I did an install like a week ago. Just I get dragged into family stuff. And um, I was squaring up the room and I looked at the vinyl and the vinyl was perfect. Absolutely, yeah. li- and I'm like we're following the sheet vinyl, and I, it it actually was in perfect grid. so I knew where my boards were going to end up, where I was going. We followed that. Yeah. It wound up as an insulation barrier. Boom! It was all set up. All that math to find out the sheet vinyl was perfect.
0: Yeah, that's that was huge for a while. Using sheet vinyl as a as a slip sheet for moisture that. control. Yeah, it worked great. Uh, and you know we would all be looking for off goods, seconds, mill yeah. trials. Because nobody was going to see it, and, and you didn't want to pay for a first quality vinyl, so we would f- have our resources, and I don't care what the brand was, as long as it was, uh, you know, similar construction. I don't know if you recall, brands like GAF, which was General Anodyne and Film Company, when they made cheap vinyl for years, and, of course, Congolium, uh Armstrong. Armstrong. And, you know, most of it nowadays is uh, made offshore. I don't, you don't see a lot of uh, local brands anymore.
1: You mentioned off-goods too, because I remember um, gypcrete being a popular thing and us saying, listen, you can't put wood on gypcrete. And one of the manufacturers said, yeah, but you can put an off-good on there, cut it back, <laughs> then glue your flooring to that. So you are like, so you were able to actually take that softer gypcrete, get the vinyl to stick to it, then get your engineered flooring and glue it to that. So that, you know, there's always more than one way, right?
0: yep not good if you're a cat but
1: no i i didn't throw the cat in there i don't get in trouble with anybody (laughs) (laughs) poor cat so when you got rolling and that was moving along and and you stuck in there then your kids came in and got going how 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 big did the company get and where did you move from that to consulting or did you do your consulting while you're flooring what was the evolution once you got rolling
0: to be brutally honest the company got to a point where it got to be ungainly it got too big uh, it got to the point where my employees were making considerably more money than I was right. and I was constantly chasing my tail with uh, you know complaints you know you, you get a crew out at 7 30 in the morning and they'd go right to Denny's yeah. so they'd end up on the job at 9 nine thirty, and the customer's already calling you and you know and these are my biggest problem was uh, I was too much of a friend and not enough of an author, you know authoritarian boss and uh, I just decided one day my son Todd and I sat down and, and said let's just pick the best guys just go after better work that pays better and just stop this train to you know nail down as many floors as we can and, and have all these issues and that's what we did.
1: You just said that I and said to somebody yesterday. It's you know, it's it's not lonely at the top. It's crowded at the bottom. When, yeah. But you're right. When you're managing, everybody wants to be the people pleaser, keep everything, keep everything light. But then they kind of miss out on when you really got to bring a heavy hand down and things have to get done. You know, you'll be coating a floor at five, and the guys are loading the van, and you're saying, "I just need twenty minutes, and we won't have to come back tomorrow." Let's get a, let's get exactly. a coat on this. Yeah, it's tricky for people to be um, invested like that, like you're saying.
0: Yeah, I learned from my father who, you know, he used to say, look, it's it's better off. Let's take 10 minutes now to organize the truck before we leave the job site. So we don't have a mess and we don't have as much work to do in the morning, you know, to separate the tools from the trash and spend that time to get it right. And you don't have to do it tomorrow. Don't kick the can down the road.
1: That's fascinating. Was your father a military man?
0: Yes, he was in the World War II. He's a tank commander in, in the army.
1: You say that it kind of struck me because I, I was watching um, a General a little while ago do, talking to the troops of um, one of the special forces, and he started his whole you know award for the class, of graduation class. He said there was 140, I think, 22 graduated, and he said this starts every morning with making your bunk, and he was you know direct about how the bunk should be made, et cetera, et cetera. He moves on, and by the time he's done, he starts talking about war and brotherhood and in the trenches and all that happens. And he wrapped it up by saying, and when that soldier hasn't slept in two days or eaten in two days and makes it home alive, there's his maid bunk where he started everything, telling him, you you started out, well, now you can retire, and you don't have to. There's no more work for you. Go, Go lay your head down.
0: It becomes second nature. If you do it again and again and again, it's like you you know it's like brushing your teeth. I mean, you you're walking out the door. You go, Whoa, wait a minute, I run back in. And, you know, you've got to brush your teeth. Just uh, I, I love it when my grandsons were younger, and they I would they would say, "Well, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that?" And I, you know, why why do you have to brush your teeth? Why do you have to comb your hair? I mean, you really technically don't have to. But it's it's
1: repetition bad. is the mother skill, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do something 10,000 10, times, you become a pro wood floor person. <laughs> yeah.
0: Why we yeah. chose that, I have no, I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings that my father taught me was, have the skill to do the job and do it right before you walk in the door. Right. Don't try to learn how to shave on someone else's beard. Right. <laughs> right?
1: I think there's a severe lack of training unless you pack up and get yourself to some type of NWFA program. You're learning on the job.
0: Exactly. That's where most people learn. You know, you. Uh, for many years, I um, taught at the uh, carpenters and joiners unions up in uh, New York and Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, you know that was a great program, but with the exception of the NWFA, there really wasn't much before NAFMA. Mm-hmm. The NAFMA schools. It's I think they started back in the eighties. And I was an instructor at those schools as well. But um, yeah, it's it's all about training, and it's all about want to, you know, w- wanting to learn a trade. There, it it's almost as if this n- new generation thinks that it's beneath them right. to work with their hands, where uh, you know, there's hundred dollar a week lawyers out there. You know, there's so many. Lawyers graduating from college, there's no jobs for them. And I know plumbers that make more than a, than a good attorney. I,
1: I know a plumber that said uh, his sister got her doctorate. By the time she got her first job, he already had a lake house. You know, he's like <laughs> yeah, right. 17 apprentice, 18 plumbing. He's moving along, money in the bank. And that poor girl, she, she finally got into a practice and get going. And you're making money and you're $350,000 in debt. And the plumber started out with money in his pocket. And yet, it's a shame. I work in the DC area. We talk about this on a few podcasts, and I'm always amazed how affluent it is. And they'll hire anybody and pay them anything to do anything with physical labor or craftsmanship in their home. And sometimes it looks terrible. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, it's you come very, up
1: here or down where you different. are, you fight over who's the best floor guy. You got people up in Boca. Going over to um, Cape Coral and work in the coastline and back again, and these are not ten million dollar homes; these are twenty five million dollars and up homes. I would never seen anything like it. Right?
0: We, used, when I was still doing the, uh, you know, running the, the company before I turned it over to my son Todd, uh, we did uh, quite a few jobs out of town, even out of state. We did jobs in uh, uh, the Hamptons in New York and places like that. But you know it it just didn't make financial sense after a while. Uh, I turned the business over to Todd in 1996. Cause I had had an offer with, uh, Lagler to work for them as a rep. And I, I had had uh, a knee surgery and I was having back problems and shoulder problems. And, you know, and I was in my, I was only in my forties, you know, this, uh, our our trade is is not for wussies. No, and it's very hard on your body. And so I turned the business over to my son, who's done amazing with it. And uh, I, I worked for Lagler as an in independent rep for a couple of years. That's how I got into the other side of it, so to speak.
1: You mentioned earlier Flagler down down in Florida, probably built most of St. Augustine. I think Flagler College built the university of Tampa where I went and Mm -hmm. you can see, boy, that work is absolutely beautiful. Did you ever get to do any type of flooring work in any of those uh, facilities?
0: We did a renovation and it's called the uh, Sterling house in Fort Lauderdale. It was built in like uh, the original home was a a trading post on the uh, new river. And the uh, Miccosukee and Seminole Indians would come in canoes to this house to trade, and th- they built this mansion there. And it, it it fell into disrepair; the roof was leaking for years, and it was an eyesore. And a, a gentleman purchased it, and it's right, literally, on Los Olas Boulevard, which is a, a you know high-dollar neighborhood. With walking within walking distance to the ocean right next to the intercoastal waterway and uh we walked to the job and the original floors were uh white oak two and a quarter by three-quarter they were all hand nailed throughout the entire mansion and it was a mansion so we got to work ripping out all the the damaged wood and weaving in new wood and as we're pulling it up um on the back of some of the wood, it's, it was stamped E. L. Bruce, E. L. Bruce, Texas. Okay, so talk about an old name in the business. So what was really cool about that is you know we ripped it, we ripped out the the rotten wood, and we did a lot of weaving, and then we did we sanded and finished the entire home, and you couldn't tell where the floors that were nailed in like 1900 100%. and what we nailed in this era, apart. It was perfect. Name wow. another floor flooring that you can do that with.
1: No, fact, El Bruce Company. When dirt the, when maybe. the when the market. Ch- no, dirt when the market <laughs> changed. Uh, they when the the whole industry got mothballed during the war. They made ammunition boxes, et cetera. Went back into flooring, and then I know there was a lot of price gouging and consumer issues during the war. And that's when the Bruce people said, "Well, you know what? If we put wax on a floor and finish it." It's it's no longer a commodity item and we don't get priced according to the government. We can sell it for whatever we want. Well, they didn't realize they just gave every builder in the country a free pass to try to get rid of their hardwood flooring guy. Remember what a pain that was. The builders were yeah. like, I want to get done, I'd like to close, the floors aren't done. We've you know, we got chemical problems. Now nah, they didn't care. People wonder when I get into flooring why a builder would put that, you know, quote, junk in. Because it eliminates the floor guy and his profit. They could put that stuff in <laughs> that's how it all started
0: all about speed yeah
1: today it is for some cu- some companies
0: i've tried checking this out but, um my knowledge about uh, engineered flooring what i've learned and i don't know if it's 100% correct but what i heard was the anderson company in south carolina their job was making uh, plywood for PT boats. And when the war ended, they had a, an incredible amount of inventory on plywood that they couldn't use. And somebody came up with the idea of, of making it into flooring and selling it as a an engineered floor that would be more stable. And that was the, uh, the granddaddy, so to speak, of the engineered flooring business.
1: You're right. There's two problems I to that. that is. Oh, no, it is. Because if you know, you go into a certain city... And someone will bring in a piece of wood, and I'll say, is that from Beacon Street in Boston? They'll go, yeah, how'd you know? It's three-eighths, two or two-and-a-quarter oak with a bunch of brass nails on the top of it because they had this beautiful idea. Well, if we cut half the board in, we'd, we'd get more yield, and we could put the and everything all over the New England, buckled and warped. Well, you could take that veneer, stick it onto that plywood, now you've got a stable product, and like you said, there's the invention of um, the laminate hardwood floor. Remember laminate, that word? Yeah. Yeah, they stole that word from us in the, what, they the 90s. Uh, we'd say, oh, I put in laminate. Well, that's gone.
0: Although, you know, uh, Formica, going back, back in the days, like in the 50s, everything was Formica. Yeah. With all the speckly stuff. Countertops. Did, did you do countertops? Laminate? Yeah. Who didn't have a, a, a Formica top kitchen table with a chrome a uh, circumference of some kind of aluminum that was polished and funky chairs with bright plastic covers on them.
1: My mentor, Ray Smith, he was sent by his father to the military bases, and they'd say, you know, go to the brown ranch with the sawhorse out front, and you put the formica on the floor, and then take what's left, do the countertops, and put a piece of metal around it. And he told right. me one day his father called him screaming, you should have been done, this should. And he said, I finished early, Dad. They drove over. You know, military bases. This one's brown. The third one's brown. The sixth one's brown. He went in the wrong house, put all the stuff yeah. in the wrong place that had a sawhorse out front, the whole deal. And all I could think of was, you wrap that crap in metal? <laughs> That's what goes on <laughs> the counter? Couldn't, you that couldn't be That actually
0: happened to us. We, we were doing a, a housing project with an Anderson product, pre finished product. And uh, they called up and said, this. This lot and this block, this house is ready for flooring. So we went in there and did all the prep work, did our grinding and leveling, and installed the, the whole house. And um, we got a call a few days later that you know, we did the wrong house. Oh! And thank goodness it was uh, it was the builder that we had the. You remember faxes? We had a fax with all the information on which house to do. But the people that actually bought that house before it was even out of the ground were just thrilled with their new free floor. <laughs> yeah, oh jeez. So now you thought re- they were getting FHA carpet.
1: <laughs> oh jeez. Are you re- you re- you retired now other than what what are you you're just retired you are playing pickleball or what are you doing?
0: Yeah, well, um I was playing pickleball. <laughs> oh, I took a guess. And, uh, <laughs> I was playing a lot of pickleball and I was loving it, but I I never really retired per se. I stayed uh, in the industry with doing inspections (laughs) initially. With you know, as I got certified with the NWFA in 2004 when they started the program, and after that, I got certified with several other entities because you know, going through the union training, I, I know a little bit about carpet and I, I certainly know sheet vinyl and and what i didn't know i educated myself and went to some classes and caught back up on it and i i stay pretty busy with doing inspections and i do uh, quite a bit of consulting and um technical work for attorneys and insurance companies sure. so um
1: did you get a general left- flooring license for because I did that, I had I wanted to get licensed. We don't have them here. I went to DC and I um, got licensed, but they made me study vinyl. Um, I could literally tell you how to cement a, a hot tub, grout <laughs> it, the whole deal, and uh, I failed hardwood flooring. I passed every other trade I've never done, and I they were laughing when I came out of that private exam, and I said this test is ridiculous. <laughs> How many cut nails? It's 2020. How many cut nails do I put in? They told me I failed the instructions on how to disconnect the gas stove. But
0: like, that shouldn't even be in there. I went back in and passed that. But what does that have to do with flooring? Yeah, well, yeah, we have the yeah. Certificate of Competency Tests here. Yes. And, and and each county has their own tests. And the, the tests are so different that there's no reciprocity between the counties. Okay. So if you work in Miami-Dade, you have to have their certificate of competency. And for people who don't know, a certificate of competency in hardwood flooring uh, is required here to do that trade. Whereas you know anybody can you know throw in some sheet goods or do carpet without that certificate. But the reason that hardwood flooring and stone and marble are required is because it's such an expensive product. You, know, you you screw up somebody's house with the uh, hardwood floors throughout, and you're you know you don't have insurance or you don't have the wherewithal to fix it financially. That's huge. So the certificate of competency here requires the proper insurance, the proper training, and like you said, the te- the test is ridiculous. And they're old. When I took it back, oh God, in the late '80s, mid '80s, whenever it was. I actually found some errors in the test and brought it to their attention. So that was, uh, that was fun.
2: Hey, Woodfloor pros. This is Kim Walgren, the longtime editor of Woodfloor Business. I am happy to tell you that the Woodfloor Business Truck and Van Contest is back and entries are free. If you have a work vehicle that's extra fabulous in some way, you need to enter. If it has attention-getting exterior graphics or a tricked-out ultra-organized interior, or if it's unique in some way there's a category for that. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, if your vehicle is a complete and utter disaster in one way or another, there's a category for that too. Submit your entries to us by April 1st, 2023, at wfbmag.co backslash tv23, enter. That's it for now. Let's get back to Stephen's conversation with longtime wood floor pro and WFB author Bob Goldstein.
1: Is Florida uh, different? I've heard this, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but that uh, typically contractors square up early, you get paid for your material, and if there's any type of dispute that comes afterward up here, you work, you get nothing, and then you fight about it, and you fight to get paid. Is it different? Do you have to uh, be given a deposit or payments up front with materials, or is it just like everywhere else? It is.
0: Nobody works in South Florida without a a deposit. Explain
1: that. That's the part.
0: Yeah, right. A deposit. Most of the time, it's fifty or sixty okay. percent, and uh, and then there's a schedule on payment. When this is completed, we get a, a, a draw, and then when the job's completed, we get the balance on completion. Because it's um, there's so many transient people here and snowbirds. You know, if you back in the day, yeah, you could just shake hands. And you know, at the end of the job, if you did your job properly, you're going to get paid. Uh, and down here, uh, it wasn't so nice. So you, you learn to, you know what CYA means, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it means cover your assets. That's what it means. Exactly. So uh, It's
1: smart. So many people up here get burned, and the, then you've got to take, you got to put pressure, take legal action, put liens on properties. At least you're getting your money. Everybody gets paid, and you can discuss the, the BS afterward. A lot of times, flooring contractors are held up over the littlest silliest, most ridiculous things. You don't hold 95% of somebody's money over a 2% defect in the floor that can be fixed easily.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would never fly here. Never. And, 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 you know, being an inspector is kind of like being a cop. Because all we look at are mistakes, right? Right. Or potentially mistakes. And uh, it's scary how, how, how much lack of skill there is in folks that are out there supposedly professional doing these jobs. And I see it more in um, luxury vinyl plank and luxury vinyl tile That it's really big right now because again, it's not real wood so you don't need a certificate of competency to do it. And there's the guys out there that you know, yesterday they were you know, banging in some, just a 12 by 12 room of, of carpet and tomorrow they're doing luxury vinyl and the next day maybe they're doing a, a glue down and they don't know they wouldn't have a clue which adhesive is the proper one to use. So they go to their supplier and they buy whatever's the cheapest. Right. Uh, so you see a, a huge amount of uh, problems with that.
1: Well, technically too, LVTs, LVPs, SPCs, and those, um, although they've gotten better and better, there's, there's now coming across what are the problems and and they always say, Oh, it's so easy. No, it's very easy to screw that stuff up. I've been doing some testing recently for a company. Then all the ends, you don't find out till later that they're broken and they're lifting. So they, they were saying, well, no, we don't have that problem. I, I know they do. So I actually did a video of a floor I did for my daughter and it's has problems. And then I showed them later how they're all perfectly repaired and I waited and waited, and they're like, hey, how are you going to tell me how you did that? I'm like, no, you said there's no problem, but I have it. And now they're asking me, and I'm, I still haven't showed them how I did it, but it, it's worked. I got a system. We're going to have a little seminar on it next week. These are things we've got to learn and get in place because some of these new synthetic floors are, are fantastic. They look much better than the old laminates, and mm-hmm. they serve a purpose until you can afford a good floor.
0: Yeah, we have uh, a lot of issues with them here is that we don't have basements. You dig a hole here, uh, you you have a pool, not a basement. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know what it's like. Dig 16 inches and you hit water. So everything is slab on grade pretty much. Yeah. In the old days it was pier and beam, but those have issues as well in a hurricane. Right. They had a tendency to blow away.
1: <laughs> they built a canal so, from Jacksonville over to, to, to Gainesville. Florida could drift off to Cuba. <laughs> There's not a lot yeah. underneath
0: that place. Exactly. It's funny because <laughs> you know just north of here, you know the I four corridor in north, you're still allowed to build with what's called you know what you call stick construction, two by four, two by four yeah. OSB, and all that. Here in, in you know below that corridor, it's all CBS block. For for obvious reasons, but my point is that these floors that are quote unquote waterproof, that is such a load of baloney, uh, I, I see these floors every day that are end peaking. And if you read the directions, they say you don't need to do any moisture testing, you don't need any kind of a vapor barrier, and they just fail left and right. And of course, the first thing the manufacturer wants to do is point fingers at the installer. For instance, uh, on most of the LVP, the spec on the f- slab being flat is an eighth of an inch in a 10-foot radius. Right. And, and they go back you know, and they put a, a straight edge on the floor after it's installed. Well, you can't tell what's going on with what's under that floor no. once it's over the floor, right? It's just a joke. What's your favorite part
1: of all that you've done in the wood flooring? What's, what's your favorite part of it?
0: Well, one of the one of the things that made me passionate about wood as as opposed to other types of flooring is, uh, it's um, the longevity. And I'm talking real wood, you know, nailed down job site finished. Uh, there's, there's only there's the three oldest floors in the history of humanity are dirt, stone, and wood, right? Yes. And uh, what else can you put down where 25 years later, that customer might call you back and say, My floor needs some maintenance. Sure. If they wait that long, it's a sand and finish job for you. Or if they're smart enough to call and say, You know, I've got some wear areas, and you do a, a buff and recoat. But it's the creativity of it. When you can suggest to someone, You know, for just a couple bucks more, I can put a beautiful border in your den of another species, and you draw up a little picture and you know, if you've got a track saw, or back in the day, if you, if you knew how to, the method of of using their skill saw to to do it, it, not only is it fun, but it's it's creative and it's something that's going to be there long after I'm gone.
1: You said uh, dirt, right? Um, and I talk about that some of the seminars that I do. So my daughter recently got married, and I'm thinking, well, you carry the bride over the threshold. We sell thresholds. Well, what's a threshold? I I kind of did a little research on it. But if you had a dirt floor, um, the next floor was hay. They threw hay on that to keep the dirt off the right. floor. Which is called thresh. Thresh, and it would scoot out the front door. So they would put a board right. to hold the thresh, which was usually over an inch thick. So you, you don't want to trip over it. So you pick up your bride, you carry her over onto the thresh. That's the threshold, and that's where it all started. Right. And then they that's all, right. Yeah, that became and wood and wood floors. And and sawyers knew how to make when when pilgrims came here or whoever. Those sawyers, those shipmakers. They knew to quarter material and make pit saws and make certain and use white oak instead of red oak, and somehow that technology gets lost down the road when someone gets into right. woodworking and they say, "I'll just put make it out of wood, make a boat, make a red oak boat. Good luck with that one."
0: And then here in Florida, you know, you'd learn that uh, if there were issues, we always have issues with moisture and uh, do a lot of work down in, in the in the Florida Keys. We would never install anything but uh, quarter sawn material down there. Even though, because they say, Oh, you know, we have the air conditioning on all year long, well, when a hurricane comes through, you're not. So and to, there's a lot of folks in the industry that still don't know the reasoning behind that, you know, what's the difference between rift and quartered or just quartered and planes on and, and how it reacts to moisture. And, you know, I find that fascinating. And if you're doing design type work, It's really smart to use quarter song material and because you're encapsulating the center of the floor with a border and an apron and things like that. So where's it going to go? You know, people talk, manufacturers say, make sure you leave that three quarters of an inch expansion around the entire room. Well, when you put down a, you know, nail down a 800 square feet of whatever on a diagonal and then you cut it all out and border it, the border there's no three-quarter gap between it nope. and the and the border, and then the apron, right? Right. So to, to alleviate problems, you have to know a little bit about wood science. Whether if it if it's if you really know what you're doing, you're going to use a quarter to rift song. And if you can't, for whatever reason, you know about leaving field spacing. Right. Back in the day, we used to use washers
1: every five feet.
0: Yeah, and then, uh Somebody came up with using. Uh, Weed whacker string, yeah, and just pull it out. But then measuring it and knowing how many of these field spaces you have to leave, so it'll close up and not just leave a gap. You know that didn't close up, then you've got another problem. So the more you learn, the easier it becomes.
1: I think I would see these commercials where they'll these whiskey commercials, let they say our beautiful amber, you know, bourbon or whatever. Well, you got a white oak barrel that you just burnt with a torch, and you got tannic acid. What do you think color it's going to turn I've never seen a, anything yeah. in a white oak barrel that and the stayed flavor. clear. And, and the smoky flavor and the, whatever so, it is. I have a quote from you from uh, an article that you wrote that, that's going to give us this third and last section of what we're talking about today. And I want you to comment on this. This is from Wood Floor Business Magazine. And you wrote, The hell with old school thinking. Slowly killing yourself doesn't make you tough or strong. It proves you're either stupid or subconsciously suicidal. Let's talk about that.
0: Right. Well, we are, if you've been in this business long enough, you're going to have a friend at some point that's going to get cancer. Yeah. And if you do the research, you'll find out that uh, it was a direct result of what they did, the products that they used to ply their train. Whether it was the chlorinated solvents and the adhesives, the moisture cured and acid cured, with no safety precautions. Uh, people don't realize when you're using moisture cured, the the what, you can literally stand back and see the vapors coming off of it. Literally, see the vapors coming off of it. So, if you're using it, you should be, have a full face respirator with fresh uh, apparatus on it. You know, don't don't use the same charcoal cartridges. Use those, full face, wear long sleeve, long pants. You could absorb these chemicals through your eyeballs, through your skin. There's a reason that they tell you to remove pets and, pe- and plants. Uh, you know, you, there's, you're there's you better than the Orkin man. But, you know, by the time you do a whole house of yep. moisture cured or acid cured, there isn't going to be a live bug in the house.
1: Yeah, how many so, people tell you they're proud of the... The, that the fumes were so heavy, and like that is ridiculous.
0: I, I remember doing jobs where I literally had to go out and lay down in the front yard before I felt confident to drive home.
1: You, you know, I, I worked as a young kid in a, a, a hardware slash industrial center, and um, one of our retiree that worked up in the hard, hardwood, uh, the um, hardware section, some guy was painting his car in his garage and he asked for a respirator, and the guy sold him dust masks. Um, the man yeah. barely lived. We were sued for millions, and I was new out of college, and they said, kid, we want you to study, and there was no internet, go study respirators, masks, B cartridges, C cartridges, find out what we need because we have to sell these things, and then we need to educate everybody. That's how I started. And when I started doing flooring, people thought I was crazy because I had my 3M you know, dual cartridge right, type right. C respirator, and they were like, oh, we've been sniffing this stuff for years. It's the greatest. But everything I had been through said, so this is don't mess with this. You, you personally, listen. I was lucky to work with and meet Bill Price and Roy Reichel, but they're they're friends of yours. Right. Can you tell me? Did that all them passing come from chemicals with hardwood flooring specifically? Without a doubt. Without, yeah. you
0: know, Bill had uh, cancer in his nasal passages. Um, you, everybody out there that that you know's been in this trade for a while knows someone or knows without actually knowing what killed them that being in the trade is, is what exacerbated it. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and you, everybody, you know, especially the younger folks, they think, you know, that they're impervious to, to this and couldn't happen. It's not going to happen to me. I'm strong and I'm this and I'm that it's cumulative, like smoking cigarettes. That, one, that first cigarette isn't going to give you lung cancer, right. but that hundred thousandth cigarette, is going to kill you. And uh, even wood dust, as we know. Wood dust is a carcinogen. Yeah. And you're breathing it in. You know, you, At the end of the day, you see guys out there blowing their nose. And they, they could make a small log out of what's trapped in, the, in their nose, <laughs> crying out And loud. that's the stuff
1: that get past the dust mask that they didn't know to press against their nose and just left right. it wide open.
0: And it, if you try to tell them the pain that they may have to go through in the future because of this, yeah. because they didn't listen. Or maybe they just didn't know better. You know, it's, oh, boo-hoo. Well, it's, it's not so boo-hoo when, when you just had, uh, you know, when you had radiation therapy to the point where it's uh, destroyed your gut and, you, you know, you're home at night throwing up and, and you have to put a pick line in so they can give you chemicals in the morning and radiation in the afternoon. It's, uh, it's not fun.
1: You mentioned, and too, it, in what you wrote that you're also, don't, don't forget, this is your family watching you suffer. This could be your family watching yeah. you pass away, grandkids missing weddings, um, babies being born, everything. I worked with someone recently, and we were using alcohol-based sealer. And he was bragging that they do it all the time. I, I went and bought a $60 respirator because I don't do floors that often. And I went in the house. I walked out, put the thing on. I couldn't breathe that stuff. It was brutal. It was it was almost like drinking on the job. It was absolutely that's, terrible. And I, I thought, he's a young guy. Like, you're crazy. You have kids at home. You really shouldn't be doing this.
0: Like, the, you know, the, one of the uh, mix, the mixture of uh, moisture cured urethane, one of the uh, solvents is xylene. To this day, I can smell xylene two miles away. Right. My neighbor just had a new driveway put in and they sealed it with a paver sealer. And I could smell that xylene in my backyard across the street. I'm so sensitive.
1: Used to, to clean our course. brushes with xylene. Yeah, and turpentine because it was cleaner course, than mineral spirits. But you've had your own health. Are are you the things that you've gone through with your health? Is that definitively from everything you've done with our industry that you were exposed to?
0: Yes. Well, again, it's hard on your body. You know, I was I was a, an, always an athlete. I always stayed in shape, but I still I've had uh, one knee surgery, five back surgeries. Oh. Um, I got more metal in my back than a, a sh- freaking Sherman tank. Yep. And, it's, and it's, it's, you get used to the pain to a certain degree, but you never get used to it entirely. Right. And it, it changes the way you do everything. And as you get older, this, it, uh, it, it doesn't get any better. So what can you do? Uh, so, what about like before you play sports, what do you do? You stretch, right? Right. So do the same thing before you start, you jump on that edge or, or pick up that nail or stretch out your hamstring, stretch out your back, stay limber, give yourself breaks and hydrate all day long, hydrate, stay limber, and, and don't let it get to the point where your spine is bone on bone and your knees are shot or your shoulders completely worn out. Have you ever, just, just for giggles, do the math and figure out how many cleats are in just a thousand square feet of flooring. At, at, let's say that you're nailing on a 16 inches on center. So you're putting a, a cleat every eight inches. And then one is close to each end matches. You can get it. You're swinging that mallet thousands of times. So why not stretch out those shoulder muscles, keep them limber, keep them strong, give yourself a break, uh, don't be a hero. Use pneumatics if you you know when you've got them, yeah. and uh, you know it'll change your life for the future. You'll be able to go out and play pickleball without you know falling down in the court and screaming in agony, yeah. and embarrassing the hell out of yourself. Uh, and it affects everything in, in your body. Uh, it's it's not fun. It's it's uh, they they call these your golden years. Well. If you didn't take care of yourself, and your trade literally made it worse, they're not so golden. Not so golden. <laughs> you no, know, not that I'm complaining. Other people have it worse. I'm, you know, thankful that I'm as spry as I am at my age. But uh, you've you know, a lot of things wrong.
1: You brought up a really good point in the, the piece that you had in Woodford Business recently, too. And it, listen, I didn't think about it because I was I was looking in the opposite direction, and I thought this was pretty wise. So. The industry changed the VOC laws, and there's people will call, and I'll say, well, listen, you what failed? Did you buy a gallon? They say, yes. They go, that's your problem. And they go, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I go, well, it's a 250 deck varnish, whatever whatever it is, and it's you probably have the wrong chemistry. And so you look to find a really good 550 stain and a good 550 poly, and everybody's dumping quarts in five-gallon pails. And that's fine, and it works beautiful, but I never thought about it until I read your article and you said, Sure. The, the, they're getting the chemistry that kills us out of our hands. And we're rushing back to find as much of it as we can. I never thought of that.
0: Yeah. And you were, you know, we were talking about manufacturers and their responsibility a little while ago, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a manufacturer when this law was first put out about buying quartz, where they they made little court sacks that they put in a five gallon pail until it equals five gallons of, of finish. And then they could sell it in a five gallon pail. And there would be five gallons of, of the uh, high VOC finish in there. Right. And they got away with it for a while. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, people say, well, you're a green weenie or you're a tree hugger or you're this or that and the other thing. No, I'm, ju- I'm just adverse to uh, significant pain. <laughs> right.
1: Would I want my grandkids doing flooring if they were, you know, working without a dust mask and mixing with thinners and stains with their raw hands? Because people love to put it down on the floor with a cotton rag and then breathe, you know, 550 plus VOC uh, material. And, you know, you said it. I remember driving away from a job in my pickup truck and 30 miles up the road breathing and feeling it. It was still in my lungs. Even with a respirator.
0: Go home and take a shower and you still taste it. Yeah. Here's an here's an analogy. Okay. How many welders do you know that would weld without wearing a protective mask Zero. Protect your eyes? And and you know, with us, it's cumulative over time. If a if a welder was dumb enough not to wear the face shield, he'd be blind after the you know one or two attempts at it, right? Yep. It, the instantaneous uh harm to him. We don't see it because it's 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 just a buildup, Lego on Lego, brick on brick, over time until it hits a point in time where, you, you go to your doctor, and you're not feeling well, and they diagnose you with cancer or, or, or you know, something, like COPD. There's there's a lot of variations out there, uh, not to mention what it does to your you know to your skeleton. I'm not trying to scare anybody away from doing no, the but trade. this is you, this is really right. good
1: to talk about because you know this new, the newer generation coming through and there's not that many of them are getting five times what we got paid and it looks like a lot of money. Okay, get out there, learn your your trade that, but you know you're you are taking risks with this type of chemistry and woodworking and wood dust and it's right there. And I'm I'm the first person to go in and four hours later realize I never put my knee pads on. You know you dive right into the job, your head get, yeah. now you're in there. And now you're limping your torsum cartilage, and you're like, "Boy, the knee pads are a hundred yards away in my truck. What was I thinking, or I just exactly. want to get this coated you just, and you breathe it,
0: it yeah, well, I rarely wore knee pads; it just I felt they kind of slowed me down, and everything was about you know doing it right, but doing it fast, you got to make a living and uh, my my knees looked like elephant hide. Yeah. But uh, how, ask how many guys like me that didn't wear knee pads that got a staph infection from time to time from a splinter. From a splinter. I, I mean, that's not fun either. And that's happened. You end up uh, in, in the hospital with a knee blown up like a balloon and they have to drain it and put you on antibiotics for a couple of weeks. So, it, it's again, it's just self-inflicted pain that's unnecessary
1: i had a friend from europe he, he was um ukrainian and um his whole family does flooring and one day they said he's gone like he's, he's younger than me i said what happened what happened they said he had good pasture syndrome i said what is that they go it's, it's very rare but if you're a woodworker like a flooring person it's genetically found in male europeans it um if they get exposed to dust and certain chemicals it'll attack their lungs and their kidney um you'll get uh you can get it from viral infection smoking certain medications but the biggest cause is uh wood dust and chemicals and when when he when it affected him and it kicked in he didn't have three days i had never heard of that that's how much you're risking playing with this stuff you and i've been around long enough to see some of the most brilliant people we've ever known suffer themselves their families go through this and not pull through it and that you know we sound like we're old and crusty but hey kids stay away from this stuff do everything you can to protect yourself there's no doubt about it you you have a chance in the wood flooring industry not to just work with other people you have a chance to build colleagues the Roy Reich the Bill prices yourself people that you look up to you admire that this industry put our, our kids through college and our grandkids and put food on our table and did really well for us. And we love doing it. Well, if we're going to continue, let's be safe about it.
0: Right. Exactly. You know, I I have uh, seven beautiful grandchildren and uh, you know, I want to, I want to be there when they have those milestones in their life and they, they, you know, graduate from college and do their first piano recital. And, you know, like, None of us are getting out of this alive. It's an old Irish saying, and right? it's true. But, you know, you want to hang around as long as you can and be as active as you can. So why not protect yourself? Why not?
1: Boy, the Irish you know, really have a way with death, don't they? My dad used to read the obituaries. He called it the Irish sports page. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> just to see who moved here from the mothership that didn't make it this. It just, it's just crazy. Yeah, you. Yes. I used to say, when I'm done with flooring, I just want to run some down and outs with the grandkids at the family picnic. And now I tease right. you about pickleball because a few years ago I, I do I'm one of the few guys around that does gymnasiums and lines courts and all I've been doing is pickleball courts. I don't even know what it is. And I'd play tennis and I just finally saw somebody playing I'm like this
0: is the greatest thing ever. I love yeah. it. I used I used to play pe- I played tennis and uh, racquetball, you know, paddle ball, and uh, picking up pickleball was like easy peasy. Yeah. And you don't have to run that much, and and, and you see a lot of your contemporaries. You know, you I play on a court with people that are you know, similar to my age, and but not necessarily. So you know, I played against teenagers and stuff like that. It's 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 more um, strategy than brute strength or speed, but uh, it's still like to be able to move, right? I, I get agree. out there and 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 play a little bit.
1: I want to do something with you. Um, Wood floor business magazine sets up three or four or five rapid fired fire questions i screw them up every time they're supposed to be very close to a one word answer bang 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 and we're out of here and i i usually wind up talking another half hour about them i'm going to give you these quick fire questions are you ready yes what's your biggest pet peeve in hardwood flooring what pisses you off stupid people if you were if you weren't in the wood flooring industry what would you have been doing
0: i'd be a teacher
1: who's someone in the industry that maybe you haven't met or you'd like to meet
0: I've met him, but I didn't have a chance to, to get to know him as Gene Klotz. I worked with him at an advanced school years ago. And
1: with you being partial retirement, not in the day-to-day sand finish grinding, do you miss it? I do. Tell me the truth. I can see where you are living. I can hear the dogs. You got carpet in that place? How much carpet you got in that place?
0: none zero
1: good for you that's the right answer robert (laughs) Well, thank you thank you a million times you know with me joining in with wood floor business i've had the opportunity to meet the best of the best of the best and you're up there on that mount rushmore with all them so it's it's good to finally sit down and have a chat you and i i super appreciate your time and you
0: it's my pleasure i hope to see you in milwaukee i'm going
1: i got to find a way to go. Can I
0: bring my wife? I'm planning on it. If if the good Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, I'll be there. They got
1: karaoke? I'm going. I'll be there. All right. All right. Bob Goldstein, thank you very, very, very much for your time. I appreciate it. Again, my pleasure. Take care care of yourself. We will talk soon.
0: Bye. Bye.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode of All Things Wood Floor with host Stephen Diggins and wood floor legend and popular wood floor business author Bob Goldstein. If you did, make sure to subscribe and review this podcast. And to find Bob's articles in wood floor business on topics from electricity for wood floor pros to how to recode a wood floor, go to woodfloorbusiness.com and enter Bob Goldstein into the search bar. Thanks for listening.